Welcome to Making Peace Visible. I'm your host, Jamil Simon. I was lucky to grow up around Middle Eastern food. My parents were Jews from Baghdad who later moved to Beirut. In Beirut in the 1930s, they shared friendships, culture, and cuisine with Muslims and Christians. My mother was well known in our family for making delicious baklava. I even made a short film about her called Baklava and the Meaning of Life. In my career working in film and communications around the world, I've seen so many people from different backgrounds come together over food. Indeed, every peace builder I've ever met has talked about how breakthroughs in negotiations often occurred around meals. I might just be the ideal audience for the uplifting documentary film, Breaking Bread. But from the many showings the film has had all over the world and the awards it's won, I'm in good company. Breaking Bread is about a food festival in Haifa, Israel, that brings together Jewish and Arab chefs to recreate lost or little-known Middle Eastern dishes. To quote the LA Times, Breaking Bread makes a mouth-watering case for dinner table diplomacy. I'm so pleased to welcome the director and producer of Breaking Bread, Beth Elise Hawk. Beth, thank you very much for joining us today. Jamil, thank you so much for having me. This is an honor to be on your show. Oh, that's great. I love the film. You started off the film with the quote from Anthony Bourdain. Uh, he says, food may not be the answer to world peace, but it's a start. And that gives you the flavor of the film in a lot of ways. What were your motivations in making Breaking Bread? Was, the, was world peace on your mind or how'd you go? What? Took you there. It it turns out that that quote absolutely sums up the film, and it's reiterated many times by many chefs throughout the film, without knowing that later we would have this beautiful quote from Anthony Bourdain mimicking what they were saying. Mm -hmm. But when I went out to first make this, I, I I didn't have any expectations. All I knew was that I had heard Doctor Nofa Tamna Ismail on the radio. We sit in traffic here in Los Angeles, and uh, I was stuck in it. And on the radio, she came after she had just won Israel's Master Chef. She was the first Palestinian Muslim Arab to win Israel's Master Chef, and she was talking about her mission to bring Jews and Arabs together through food. And I just, I really couldn't believe my ears. Here we had this super positive message that she was engaging in coming out of the Middle East, and it, and it had to do with food, which I'm obsessed with every type of show and film from the chef's tables of the world to the Jiro Dreams of Sushi to the Ratatouilles to the Big Nights. And when I heard this, I had to run home and reach out to her on Facebook. And eventually she told me about this food festival, this Arabic food festival she was doing in Haifa, Israel, where she was bringing together Jewish and Arab chefs to collaborate on dishes. So I just became obsessed with telling a story, if it was going to be authentic, about a food festival where Jews and Arabs were coming together. Nobody, Nobody's going to think that, you know, nobody's naive enough to think that food will solve the Middle East conflict on its own. It's a, it's a very complicated situation. But hey, it's a wonderful first step. And the more people have contact together, the less likely they are to be enemies. And so this food festival and food in general and breaking bread enables people to have that contact. 
You know, that's what I love about documentary filmmakers is that they take an idea that is, like in your case, that you just heard over the radio, and then you end up devoting two years or three years of your life to telling this story so that people can see what you saw in that radio program. The food in the film is just, it's a love affair with food. It's very sensual. And with lots of rich slow motion shots of chickpeas <laughs> being ground in hummus and olive oil being drizzled over flatbread. And, and all, it just definitely makes you hungry, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness, I can go on and on about the food. I mean, first, I'll say that, you know, we've had all of these reviews raving about the food porn. We had Roger Ebert say <laughs> food porn with a social conscience. I loved that. But in addition, when we talk about the food, I would say I also just for me as the as a director to play with the metaphors of food. I mean, our tagline of the film is hummus has no borders. And <laughs> I used I used a plate of hummus to it, it, I don't know if you were able to notice or not, but it's throughout the film. It's being sure. with different toppings. And, you know, you start off with the classic topping, but as it will announce the different chapters in the film, you get different types of food that's recognizable, for example, like a Greek salad placed on top of the hummus. And that's done to make that metaphor of how, you know, hummus coexists with whatever topping you choose to put on it. Your central character, Naf Atama Ismail, is the organizer of the festival. She's a chef, she's a scientist, something something of a force of nature. Um, let's hear a clip from Naf in the early part of the film where you hear oil firing in the background because she's cooking in this scene. It's very hard to be an Arab living inside Israel because Palestinians are considering you Israeli and you're not 100% Palestinian because you're living inside the borders of Israel. Israelis are looking at you as if you're an Arab, a Palestinian, and you will never become equal and you'll never become Israeli. You're just stuck in the middle, and nobody's understanding that being stuck in the middle is the best thing because you get to be this and that and enjoy both worlds. If you're just a Jewish person living in Tel Aviv or if you're just an Arab living your own life in an isolated place, your universe is very limited. I get to live my village. I get to pick up my olive tree and make my own olive oil, but I get to go to this super cool restaurant in Tel Aviv. My world is more amazing. I love that last phrase, you know, my world is more amazing. Uh, that's just wonderful. Thank you. I, I was saying there you have it because that that is exactly the reference point where you see this beautiful lamb monte dish and it's colorful and it's and it's reiterating what she's saying. But that was a, a really incredible statement that she made. Tell us a little more about Naf. What makes her so compelling? Oh, Nuf is just this, you know, energetic, beautiful person who is so brilliant. She speaks many languages flawlessly. She was uh, a microbiologist before she became this chef, and 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 she used her microbiology in Master Chef, where she did um, molecular gastronomy in her dishes, and <laughs> that helped her win. Um, 
And then, you know, she could have done whatever she wanted, but she used that as a platform to start, you know, as she says, social change to start opening the eyes of both sides to try to come together whenever, whenever it's possible and using food as a vehicle. Yeah. Well, she certainly seems to have succeeded in this, in this thing. Um, Your secondary characters in this film are three pairs of chefs who Naf put together. Shlomo Mir and Ali Katab are the duo that stand out the most. They each talk about a deep cultural and family connection to the food they cook and the people they serve. Well, those those two chefs were my gift from the cinema heavens uh, because... <laughs> How did I, how was I able with no casting and no money to stumble upon this pair of chefs, both of whom were so charismatic, both of whom were so handsome, both of whom were, they were mirror images of each other. Um, Ali Khatib is on a mission to bring the cooking of his Syrian grandmother into the culinaria of Israel. And Shlomi Meir is on a mission of continuing the legacy of his grandfather's Ashkenazi cooking. He came from uh, Europe after World War II. Um, and Shlomi was on a mission to continue the legacy of his grandfather's cooking. And the two of them together were bonding. So again, through this food and through these stories and through their grandparents, uh, through the lenses of their grandparents' food in a way that it was absolute magic. And I'm beyond grateful. Some people have said to me, you know, when you're working in, in Israel, uh, sometimes there's, there are those, uh, HP higher power moments. And that might've been a higher power moment that I was fortunate enough to stumble upon this pair of chefs um, and that just warms everybody's heart when they watch it. And, you know, part of it, the, they both are have such affection for their um, elders, you know, for their grandparents who, um, in a sense, bequeathed the food that they are cooking now. That's a powerful thing to have in common. I also, I always love the story of Shlomi though, when he, because he says it in such a funny way. I mean, it wasn't funny, but his, his grandfather had this restaurant and he as a child would sit there watching his grandfather cook. And when he was 16, his grandfather passed away and left no recipes. And Shlomi had to recreate his recipes (laughs) from his memory. He says, I had to put half a hand of this and two handfuls of that and just kind of recreate everything. So it really was a a mission for him. See, this is my smoker. Every time that I touch the meat, I see my, my grandfather touch the meat. This frigider is my grandfather's frigider. You know how much people told me, oh, break all this and take your kitchen there. No, 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 never. This is staying. Um, but as well as we talked about, Ali is absolutely on this mission of uh, sharing these dishes from his great great grandmother that's gone, he would say, from his mother to the daughter, from the mother to the daughter, from the mother to the daughter for hundreds of years, these Syrian dishes <laughs> that right. he thinks nobody knows about. And uh, <laughs> oh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. But we're just going to play a short clip from Ali because he, because he speaks Hebrew in the film, 
But even if you don't understand Hebrew, you can hear his enthusiasm. He's talking about the food culture in the village where he comes from, which is which sits right on the Lebanese border. <laughs> I'm just curious. Tell us what he's saying now. Well, the thing about that clip that is, you know, that is one of those moments that really struck me because it was so different than what you see sitting in your living room in the United States when you hear about Israel. And I went up to this, his village. He's in a village named Rajar, which is on the border. It's actually split half in Israel, half in Lebanon. <laughs> um, and what he was saying there is how much he loves his village in Israel. He was talking about um, how it's a Muslim Alawite village and how everybody there in his village are academics or doctors or professionals, and that he, you know, he's just very grateful for his village. And and that village requested citizenship um, after 1967, after the war, they requested citizenship from Israel and Israel granted it. Well, you know, Naf says in the film, there's no place for politics in the kitchen. And that's kind of the point, really. But in Israel, making a film about Jews and Arabs working together, you can't avoid politics. Can you talk about some of the decisions as you went along as a filmmaker to navigate this very sensitive territory? Wow, that's a really great question. So for me, I did not want this to be political at all. I wanted to be just like Nof when she says there's no room for politics in the kitchen. I was trying to make a statement about how, hey, look, there are these beautiful, positive stories in the world that don't get told. So if they're authentic and they're out there, like I wanted to tell it. Um, so that's what I was trying to do. But having said that, when you are in the Middle East, everything is political. When we, I like to say, like, you notice the time you drink a cup of coffee in the day can become political. Uh, you know, Nof touches on this as well in, in the movie when she says, you know, frankly, we're not Switzerland, you know, even though she tries <laughs> not to be political. So um, what I tried to do my very best was just to be as balanced as I could be and to have a super sharp radar as best as I could to just be on the lookout if I thought anything would inflame either side to be aware of it so that I could just polish it up and balance it on the other side. So for example, the Palestinian Arabs that live in Israel, some of them I noticed in Haifa, a lot of them would refer to the West Bank as Palestine. And I wanted them to have their voice. But, you know, at least for world records at the moment, it's referred to as the West Bank. And I knew that Arabs referring to the West Bank as Palestine might inflame the Jewish audience, but not allowing the Arabs to voice words the way they want to voice it would inflame the Muslim Arab side. So what do you do? So, you know, I would let the voice shine through. But then when I would have a map, 
I would put the title that is at least the official title at the moment, the West Bank. And so I knew that any Jewish people that would be inflamed would relax when they saw the map. And I knew vice versa that the that the Muslim side would be okay with referring it to Palestine. It was just games like that all the time. Very, very sensitive. Um, And I think it worked because I have definitely had many people from both sides who have absolutely enjoyed the film and have said to me they were, you know, they were reticent, they were hesitant about it, and then they'd watch it and then and they loved it, both sides. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised. And and especially, you know, for me growing up in a home where my parents were Jewish but they spoke Arabic, um, you know, the the idea of this dichotomy between the two never made sense. But you know, the film works to break down common misconceptions, like the idea that Israel is a violent place where Arabs and Jews are in constant conflict. Did you have your own misconceptions that got knocked down in the process of (laughs) making the film? Oh, my goodness. Um, You know, when I started out and I and I'm a mother of two kids, my kids were a little bit younger at the time. And here I was talking about going to the Middle East, going to Haifa, which I didn't I didn't really have much connection to. you know, and I hadn't been there in years and years. And I, I've seen the media as well. And I wasn't afraid, but I would speak to people and they would say, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? And I, then I would get afraid. <laughs> then I would get afraid. Like the power of suggestion. <laughs> right. And then um, and then I went there and I and now when I think about it, I'm I'm embarrassed that I even thought that for a second. I mean, it's 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 I've never felt safer, you know, when I'm there. I was even there this summer in Tel Aviv and I and I was walking at night again as a single female uh, walking around. I felt much safer there than I do here. Um, so, yeah, that was another misconception. Look, you know, um, there's a lot of these misconceptions that come out of the media. And, you know, Nof talks about it in the film when she says she believes that 90% of the population of Israel wants to live together, but it's the 10% that make it to the headlines. And right. then suddenly everybody thinks that the 10% might be the 90% that you, you get confused. You don't know, you know, you don't and, know. Yeah. I mean, I've always felt that the way the news presents the rest of the world, it, it's like looking at the world through a periscope because it's just so filtered, um, you know, and often filtered to show more violence than is actually occurring. But she talks about that as well. She says, you know, I we called so many news companies to come and cover the festival. But when it's positive, who wants to cover it? Only when it's negative, they come. That's where I came in. That's what that's really was my driving force to tell you that, if there was going to be this story and it was going to be authentic and positive, then I wanted to tell it because I wanted people to feel there are these positive stories out there. Sometimes we get so bombarded with the negativity. No, it's true. But um, one thing about the food that Naf chose to feature in the festival is that it can be super local, even down to dishes that come from a particular town or village. I'd certainly never heard of some of them before, but I want to play one more clip from Naf where she talks about one of these dishes. One example is uh, sumakia, which is a, a dish, there's a wedding dish, uh, and it's served only in Gaza Strip. It's meat cooked in sumac water, so it becomes very tender. Even Arabs here are not aware 
of, the, of that food that is typical to Gaza Strip. I just want people to be aware of the existence of people here that are living, are getting married. They're not only enemies, they're people, you know, they're married and they make sumakia and this is its taste. So when you taste it, you think immediately of weddings going in Gaza Strip. And you have some kind of thoughts in your mind that are not war thoughts. They're not news thoughts. They're pleasant thoughts. Right. Yeah, I love that. Again, the power of food and how food can transform your memories. So she's saying, you know, instead of thinking what you've seen on the news about Gaza Strip, about killing and hate and enemies, if you have this dish that was served at the festival called sumakia, which was a wedding dish, and it's delicious, and it's served at this beautiful ceremony where a man and woman are are uniting, maybe next time when you see the word Gaza, you'll think about weddings and 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 not right. Some, think about something other the, than violence. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how is the film received by viewers in Israel, by, by Jewish viewers and Arab viewers? You know, it played at the Haifa Film Festival, the Haifa International Film Festival, and it played at the Jerusalem Jewish Film Festival. And at both of those festivals, um, we had many people, you know, from, from both sides attending and people loved it. Nof attended both. Many of the chefs attended both. The one at the Haifa Film Festival was um, followed by a Q and A. Mm-hmm. You know, there were lots of people loved it. There were there were some conversations about the whole. I have a section in the film called Politics of Food, which involves this type of food that comes from the Levant area or the Levantine cuisine. But mm-hmm. how some sides are calling Arab, you know, Arab Arabic food, Israeli food. You know, some people call it Syrian food, Lebanese food. (laughs) There's a whole uh, political conversation about that, whether it's misappropriation, whether it isn't. And so some of that was discussed. Uh, I, I, I tend to stay out of it. I act as the documentarian and give the voices of all sides. In the film, you have... You have uh, Nof saying, hey, if you make a Chinese egg roll, you're not going to call it an Israeli egg roll. You're going to call it a Chinese egg roll. So please call the Arabic South, you know, just give it the credit that it deserves. But then you have Dojo Safadi, who is Muslim, saying, hey, I call it an Israeli salad. It's like really, you know, it's typical Middle Eastern. It's hard to keep up because everybody's con- contradicting everybody else. Um <laughs> right. So there was a lot of that. Uh, there was a lot of that discussion. Uh, but overall, people loved the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not an accident that food plays a role in the peacemaking process. Food is a it's a leveler. It's like the weather. It's the thing that we all have in common. It's universal. Also, it it involves sharing. You know, it's a basic human activity. Every single peace builder that I've ever spoken to has said that that the time when relationships change between adversaries is around dinner and drinks. People relax, they connect around the human things they have in common, children, grandchildren, food, and not their differences. And when they see each other as people instead of adversaries, their attitudes change, which facilitates progress and negotiations. And I I think that your film is such a good example of that. You know, the way the different chefs from the different cultures related to each other was was just striking. 
Wow. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, I feel like it's exactly what you say. You know, these people that are cooking together, the labels get stripped or when they're eating together, the labels are stripped. You're not a Jew. You're not an Arab. You're not a Muslim. You're not a Christian. You're not, you're just a person you're eating, right? You're a chef. Yeah. You're, or a chef in, in my movie, but it, for everybody really. But in this case, of course, the chefs, they're just chefs and they're both so similar that they could connect together. They're, they're, they bond together over ingredients, over recipes. And that is the beauty of, of this, of the film, that it it's a film about humanity is the way I see it. Um, yes. And I love, it is true, um, uh, Amos Sion, one of, the, one of the chefs, at least in the trailer, I don't know if the clip is in the film, but it's in the trailer where he said, where he's talking about when you eat, you can't be strangers. And so when you're friends, it's harder to be enemies or when you're closer because you're not strangers because you're eating together, it's much harder to be enemies. And That's this so is true. the same thing. Um, you have that same message from Osama Dalal in the film as well, where he's talking about, we don't have enough contact together. So in this festival, there's contact when you're together, when you're cooking, you see each other as human beings. And then you have to scratch your head and say, what are we fighting about? Um, and again, it's you can't simplify it because these this conflict is complex. But still, these are important building blocks to a future. It reminds me, there was a well-known sociologist in, in India who learned that some of the cities in India had a lot of ethnic strife and some didn't. And so he went to study the ones that didn't. He wondered what were the factors that made it possible for some cities in India to have lower level of ethnic strife than others. And what he found was, surprisingly, he found that cities that encourage community efforts around mundane, ordinary activities like choirs, parent-teachers associations, rotary clubs, had less ethnic strife because people met each other around their commonalities, not their differences. You know, I love that. I love that. And it really punctuates what I, what drove me about this film, which is again, commonality. There is so much divisiveness in our world today. And mm -hmm. for somebody who has to live as a filmmaker for two years in a story that's just not where I wanted to be. So I'm very fortunate and, and grateful to have found this beautiful story. And I don't think, you know, I'm sure there, there's many of them out there that just don't get told, but I, know. One, <laughs> I was I mean, lucky enough to tell. It's yeah. wonderful. And I'm so glad. I think you've, you've done us all a favor by telling this story. And I hope everybody listening to this podcast will go out and will, uh, you can rent it from, uh, uh, prime uh, for five bucks. Be sure to um, have something to eat afterwards because it's going to watching is going to make you hungry. But but it's really a really special film, and uh, seeing people come together in this way is just wonderful. Thank you in, so much. And in a place where you don't often associate with people coming together like this, you know. Well, that's a funny. That is definitely something that um, I was so surprised by because you know what? It wasn't just in the festival. It wasn't just those three days. It was definitely the city of Haifa itself. 
I made five trips within two years to do pickups, to scout, to do the production. And, you know, this is a place where there are no labels on the civilians that live there and they really are all intermingling and living together. It's like the mayor says, we celebrate, we celebrate Christmas, Ramadan and, and Hanukkah together. And they really right. do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, very often I would go into a restaurant maybe I was trying to get an approval for the film signed or something. And I'd be talking to a manager and I would never know. I, you couldn't tell the difference. Not that you should, by the way, but you couldn't tell the difference be, whether they were Jew or whether they were Muslim. And believe me, they were both, you know, and I, sometimes I, I would, I would, I would think that one was the other. So it was really beautiful. And, and I saw that as well in the city of Akko, which is also featured in the film, which is this little gem of a, of a medieval town on the Mediterranean, mm. tucked away, magical. You feel like you're James Bond when you visit there. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really incredible. Um, and same thing there. You know, Osama talks about it in the film that here you have a synagogue and next to it you have a church and next to it you have a mosque. And that's just how they they operate day to day. Yeah, and that's, that's not what we see at home. And that is not what I expected. Yeah. Well, Beth, thank you very much for joining us today. And um, and I hope everybody will go out and see the film. It's really worthwhile. And you don't have to go out. Just order it on uh, Prime. <laughs> Amazon Prime. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you for having me. This was just a really wonderful conversation. And I love what you're doing. And thank you for letting me be part of the conversation. If you don't have Amazon Prime, you can also watch Breaking Bread on Apple TV or Google Play. Beth also is working on a cookbook with recipes from the Alsham Food Festival. Go to BreakingBreadMovie.com and click Sign Up for Cookbook to be notified when it comes out. Making Peace Visible is produced by Andrea Moraskin. Peter Agus is the creative director of War Stories, Peace Stories, and I'm Jamil Simon. If you've been enjoying this podcast, consider supporting our work with a tax-deductible donation. You can do that at WarStoriesPeaceStories.org. Just click the button on the top right that says Support WSPS. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get to come together over some delicious food this holiday season.